0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: And welcome to the audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told. And you are among friends. And a gathering around a fire would have been a particularly good idea these last few nights. I must say, we put a nice dent in our wood pile this past weekend. I'm coming to you from my little studio beneath the stairs tonight. And uh, Owen Wolf, my technical producer, is behind the big audio board at Zoomerplex. Ryan White is my live stream producer, and he's safe and warm in, in a secure location as well. And uh, we are live streaming up at the YouTube channel Strange Planet. Uh, coming up in hour one, Dylan Howard. Is the author of a new book, a full and unedited story behind the sick life and mysterious death of Jeffrey Epstein. It's being called one of the most significant scandals in American history. The book, Dead Men Tell No Tales Spies, Lies, and Blackmail. In hour two, a few months ago, I introduced you to Chris Burris. He's an engineer who confirmed findings on carbon 60, a Nobel Prize winning technology originally meant for military defense and now being sought out by global mega corporations. He joins us again for a few updates on what many are calling a miracle molecule. Carbon 60 will also be joined in hour two by Patty Greer, crop circle researcher, filmmaker, who's been taking the consumable form of carbon 60 known as ESS 60. Uh, just a reminder, If you haven't already, please take a moment. Subscribe to my free monthly newsletter. It's very simple. Inner Sanctum. Uh, Go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and register your name and email. That's it. And then you'll start receiving the monthly newsletter free every month. Again, it's called Inner Sanctum. And you'll automatically be entered into the monthly draw for free Strange Planet gear. Again, just go to strangeplanet.ca. And register your name and email, strangeplanet.ca. He was the billionaire financier and close confidant of presidents, prime ministers, movie stars, and British royalty. The mysterious self made man who rose from blue collar Brooklyn to the heights of luxury. But while he was flying around the world on his private jet and hosting lavish parties at his private island in the Caribbean, he also was secretly masterminding an international child sex ring. One that may have involved the richest and most influential men in the world. The conspiracy of corruption was an open secret for decades. And then this past summer, it all came crashing down. After his arrest on sex trafficking charges in July of this year, it seemed Epstein's darkest secrets would finally see the light. But hopes for true justice were shattered. On August 10th of this year, when he was found dead in his cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan. The verdict? Suicide. The timing? Convenient, to say the least. As a man with unprecedented access to the facts and a reporter who is one of the most feared journalists in Hollywood, investigative reporter Dylan Howard has cracked open scandals that have brought down the careers of Mel Gibson, Charlie Sheen, Hulk Hogan, and Paula Dean, among others. His sense for news saw him rise to become the undisputed most powerful gossip editor in the world, publishing dozens of salacious tabloid magazines each week, including U.S., Weekly, The National Enquirer, Star, In Touch, Life and Style, RadarOnline.com, and more. His new book is Dead Men Tell No Tales, Lies, Spies, and Blackmail uh, with Melissa Cronin and James Robertson. Dylan Howard, welcome aboard. How are you?
2: It's good to be with you. Thank you for your time.
1: Uh, if we could, let's begin at the end, uh, August tenth. Uh, take us uh, to the the federal jail cell uh, at Manhattan's Metro Correctional Center. What, just kind of lay out the uh, the crime scene, if you would.
2: Well, it was a systematic cover up and conspiracy of epic proportion. The reality is that Jeffrey Epstein had attempted to commit suicide two weeks prior. By its very nature, an inmate, regardless of whether you are Jeffrey Epstein or anyone else for that matter, you do not return into regular prison population and be given a cell with the means and the opportunity to commit suicide, i.e., you are not given bed sheets. And that is exactly what happened in the case of Jeffrey Epstein. For anyone that thinks that his suicide was a suicide of his own volition, they're kidding themselves. The charade must stop right now. The reality is, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't murdered. That I believe. I believe he did commit suicide, but I would classify it as an assisted suicide, i.e., there was a large conspiracy behind allowing him back in the regular prison population, and giving him the means, motives, and objective to take his own life.
1: Now, the uh, the New York City Medical Examiner's Office, of course, has uh, ruled it uh, suicide by hanging. But talk to me about the forensic pathologist who observed the autopsy, on behalf of Epstein's brother, Dr. Michael Baden. What, what, mm-hmm. what are his concerns?
2: Well, he's a former New York City medical examiner himself. By the very nature of an autopsy, it is a subjective exercise. It is the opinion of one individual. Now, Michael Baden vehemently disagrees with the New York City medical examiner by virtue of the fact that there are three uh, sections of the bone that ultimately resulted in Jeffrey Epstein dying that he says suggests is murder, that someone deliberately hanged him. Now, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. There is evidence to suggest that three breaks of the bone that Baden describes has occurred in a suicide before. There is one particular thing that worries me about the autopsy and looking at that, and it is the scarring under his eye and above his mouth and to the right of his nose, which would suggest that there might, and I emphasize the word might, been some form of struggle But I don't think there is any empirical evidence at this point to suggest that there was anyone else inside that prison cell on the night in question. But there is no doubt in my mind that he was a man who knew too much, people wanted him silenced, and that he was given the means, motive, and objective to kill himself on that fateful night in question.
1: Dylan Howard, my guest, and uh, the book is Dead Men Tell No Tales, Lies, Spies, and Blackmail. Uh, just a few more questions relating to, to his death, and then we'll delve into who Jeffrey Epstein really was. Uh, and and there, is, um, rep- there are reports that Epstein, while he was in prison, was directing money to other inmates— uh, I guess their commissary accounts in exchange for protection. In other words, he feared for his life. Any justification or any validity to those reports?
2: Not uncommon for a high profile inmate at any prison. Um, I have been in a number of prisons, far too many that I care to admit to, not for any crimes of my own wrongdoing, but more so for interviewing inmates. And anyone that comes into a uh, correctional facility by virtue of their crime and their high-profile nature must conform to prison rules, and they are a separate set of rules to regular society. So I can understand why Jeffrey Epstein would want to protect himself, why he would spend money and funnel money into the prison to protect himself. This was a man that had a target the size of the Empire State Building on his back by virtue of the fact of the notoriety that he had. When you consider that he was a pedophile, that only exponentially makes it worse. And those types of criminals are viewed as the heinous individuals that they are, by fellow inmates.
1: When you say that he was aided and abetted in his suicide, uh, would that or could that include the uh, the guards that were supposed to be keeping watch over him that were now told were either sleeping or surfing the Internet, were also told that the certain security cameras were not operating. Is is that in your in your estimation part of the aiding and abetting of Epstein's suicide?
2: That I don't don't know. But what I can tell you is that the Department of Justice has charged two individuals with essentially the derelict of duty, in the sense that they were tasked with operating the prison under certain circumstances, and they did not. They fell asleep on the job. Now, I ask this of your listeners. Does the following set of circumstances pass the very basic smell test? One, you, you attempt to commit suicide. You're released back into prison population two weeks thereafter. The video camera of said suicide attempt is corrupted. You don't interview the fellow inmate who is in the cell. When he tries and ultimately does commit suicide, the cameras are switched off. Five, the guards don't do their regular examination of a handful of cells within that, uh, ward of the correctional facility. And six, that bed sheets and even an electrical appliance with an electrical cord is placed in one cell. Stop the charade. This makes zero sense whatsoever.
1: Uh, Dylan, you've been covering this case for eight eight years, maybe a, a decade. Uh, obviously, as you point out in your book, it was a difficult story to really pursue uh, and investigate while he was alive. But after his arrest uh, in July, were you thinking he'll never testify, he'll never, he'll never sit in the witness stand, this won't be allowed to happen?
2: No, I believed that narcissistic sociopathic individuals never, ever take their lives. I fully anticipated that Jeffrey Epstein would attempt to try and win this case on the very nature of the fact that he was presenting a legal argument that on a prima facie basis was a very strong one. That this was a case of double jeopardy, that in 2006, the federal government could have chosen to prosecute Jeffrey Epstein with sex trafficking crimes after accumulating some 32 to 36 victims. Instead, they handed it over to local law enforcement, made it a state case, and he was charged with one case of soliciting a prostitute and sex trafficking and was given what's been described as the sweetheart deal of the century. So I believe, had it have gone to trial, Jeffrey Epstein and his legal team would have had a very strong case in arguing that this was a case of double jeopardy, i.e., you are trying the same case that you had an opportunity to try in 2006. And they would have honed in on the federal government and said, why did you hand this over? to local law enforcement. And we know that Donald Trump's former Labor Secretary, Alex Acosta, who was then overseeing the local branch of law enforcement, had said that he was told, this is above your pay grade, to paraphrase, and hands off. So I genuinely believe that Jeffrey Epstein believed that he would be successful in a court of law. And that's consistent with the testimony of his lawyers who have said that he was upbeat in the days before his death.
1: So then what changed?
2: I think that ultimately comes to the notion that there was a suicide that was aided and abetted by individuals who may have put pressure on him, who may have threatened him who may have said, you're going to die, whether it's today or tomorrow, or in three weeks. But this was a man who knew too much for a variety of reasons. And at the very crux of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, is a stark revelation, and one that has been overlooked by the mainstream media Perhaps conveniently, the reality is that Jeffrey Epstein was not only a controlling, vindictive, and heinous paedophile, perhaps the world's worst paedophile, who traffics young women, whose role in this should not be diminished in any capacity. The reality, though, was that he was operating a very classic intelligence operation, the classic honey trap, whereby everything that he exchanged with individuals inside the four walls of his estate all around the world was recorded and sent to a foreign government. And that foreign government was Israel, and he was an agent of its equivalent of the CIA, the Mossad. And as conspiratorial as that may well sound, let me tell you this. Let me put the pieces of the jigsaw together. Jeffrey Epstein was rubbing shoulders with the likes of Adnan Khashoggi, a noted arms dealer who worked for Saudi Arabia, who died in the 1990s, I believe. He admitted to being a bounty hunter for arms dealers. His connections to the Maxwell family dated back to the 1980s. In 1989, Robert Maxwell, a British press tycoon who owned the Mirror News Group, was a well-known Mossad operative who would use his power and influence the influence that he would use to rub shoulders with the rich and famous, to gather information for the purposes of benefiting the Israeli establishment. Now, in our book, we speak to Ari Ben Mashani. And Ari Ben Mashani is a former Mossad spy handler, the person who was the individual who would gather this information and pass it back on to the intelligence operation. He was Robert Maxwell's spy handler. He ultimately became Jeffrey Epstein's spy handler. But who is the third individual that connects these two individuals together? Ghislaine Maxwell. The woman that it is long established was Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend and the woman who is alleged to have procured these young, underage women for Jeffrey Epstein, a claim, of course, that she has denied. She seemingly is on the run from justice, perhaps even a fugitive. But she was the daughter of Robert Maxwell, and according to Ari Ben-Mashani, the business of spying was turned over in the late 1980s, from Robert Maxwell to his daughter Ghislaine and her boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein. Now, um,
1: let's, we'll come back to all of this, but I, we've just got a, a, a couple minutes here uh, before the break. So let me just reset. Dylan Howard, my guest, and uh, he is the author of. Dead man tell no tales, lies, spies, and blackmail, along with Melissa Cronin and James Robertson. Uh, when we talk about Jeffrey Epstein being a, a a billionaire, this mythology, or perhaps it's not, I don't know, you can you can disab disabuse me of this, but the idea that he made his billions as a as a hedge fund manager or some sort of financier, I- is that a myth? Did, did he begin as a financier or did he make all of his money essentially as a blackmail artist?
2: No, he did begin his career as a uh, individual who worked on Wall Street. He worked at Best Stearns. The circumstances surrounding his exit from Best Stearns is controversial. People I speak to accuse him of insider trading. He then left a company called Best Stearns to work for a company called Towers Financial. Now, Towers Financial was the largest Ponzi scheme in American history prior to Bernie Madoff. And the chief proponent of that Ponzi scheme, Stephen Hoffenberg, was charged and spent 18 years in jail for his crimes. He's since been released. But his number two was Jeffrey Epstein. How much time did Jeffrey Epstein serve for being part of the Ponzi scheme? Zero. Why? I have a theory on that.
1: All right, we'll get to that theory. Sorry, Dylan, I've got to interject you. I'll get to that theory in a minute. I've just got to, I've got to, okay, I've got to take a a quick time out. We'll come back. I'll get to your theory on uh, why. Jeffrey Epstein did no time for the uh, all these shenanigans on Wall Street. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show in a moment. Stay
0: with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra from Zoomer Radio. And we are back with Dylan
1: Howard and the book, the explosive book, is Dead Men Tell No Tales, Lies, Spies, and Blackmail along with Melissa Cronin and James Robertson. Before the break, uh, Dylan, we were talking about Jeffrey Epstein's uh, uh, time at Bear Stearns, involved in this Ponzi scheme, uh, for which he did no time, while others around him were prosecuted. Uh, what happened? Wh- why was How was he protected?
2: I believe that he was protected by the highest levels of the government. And I believe he was done so for a reason. Israel is a uh, simpatico country to the United States and I believe passionately based on the evidence and research that I have conducted that the US government knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a spy and it was ultimately hands off and that is what Alex Acosta alluded to when he said he was effectively told to leave the case alone and you must ask yourself this, Jeffrey Epstein Thing, got the sweetheart plea deal of a century. Before that, he was offered an even sweeter plea deal that would have closed down the grand jury and he would not have served a day in prison. He chose not to accept it. I believe because he thought he didn't have to plea to anything that because there's a spy for a country that we are effectively in bed with that he would be protected. So upon his exit from prison in 2010, one must ask themselves why in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and half of 2019 did the federal government not decide to bring its case against Jeffrey Epstein? What we know now is that the House Democrats have sought through subpoena government records at both state and federal level, believing that they could perhaps weaponize the Epstein case to go after President Donald Trump or indeed the Republican Party. But be careful what you wish for because in 2012 through to 2018, it was a democratically elected government with Barack Obama as the the president and the likes of Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State and her husband, Bill was at the time rubbing shoulders with none other than Jeffrey Epstein. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that Bill Clinton was involved in the sexual kind of peccadillo that Jeffrey Epstein was. But I can assure you this. They weren't talking about who's making it into the Super Bowl in two weeks. They were talking about issues of relevance to the United States, its position on foreign issues, its own internal issues, issues of science and technology innovation, all of which are paramount importance, not just to Israel, but to other foreign countries as well. And Jeffrey Epstein was um, rubbing shoulders, not only with Bill Clinton, but he was rubbing shoulders with leaders in the science world and technology world like Bill Gates, Stephen Pinker, and more Nobel Prize winners. And this wasn't about sex. This was about information gathering.
1: You mentioned Bill Clinton. Much has been made of the Flight Manifest that shows he took a number of uh, passages on the the infamous Lolita Express. I've heard up to 23. Uh, Were any of those flights on which Bill Clinton was aboard, were any of those flights to
2: Lolita Island? So, based on the manifest, no. I believe Bill Clinton flew as many as 28 times on that jet. And he, like others, has sought to minimize his connection to Epstein. Um, I think a thorough examination of the establishment of the Clinton Foundation and its connections to those within Jeffrey Epstein's web ought to be conducted. I believe that there are nefarious connections there. Um, and like others, as I said, Clinton has sought to esta- uh, minimise his establishment with Jeffrey Epstein, as has Bill Gates, and as has Prince Andrew. On the case of Prince Andrew, it's very different to that of some of the other individuals. We, of course, know the photo where he has his arm around Virginia uh, Guilfrey, the seemingly uh, most prominent victim of Epstein, he, in that train wreck interview with the BBC, denied meeting her. We establish in our book that he actually spent more time with Epstein than he's admitted to, including making a trip to the infamous Zorro Ranch in New Mexico but I have to ask you this question someone of Prince Andrew's caliber doesn't travel without a royal security detail how did they not know that Prince Andrew was involved in the activities that he was he can say that he wasn't but as I like to say often, don't BS a bs right? I think the bona fides of Virginia Guilfrey Roberts are well-established. So the British government, by virtue of traveling with Prince Andrew during the times that he was rubbing shoulders with Jeffrey Epstein, knew just how vulnerable Prince Andrew would be if indeed Jeffrey Epstein was establishing what the Russians call as compromise, damaging information on high-profile individuals. And that is exactly what took place. So serious questions need to be asked now of the British monarchy and what they knew and whether they covered up Prince Andrew's connection with Jeffrey Epstein prior to the mainstream media coverage of it.
1: To what extent was Prince Andrew used to help insinuate Jeffrey Epstein into uh, the New York social scene? In other words, was he used as bait? Prince Andrew, that is.
2: I think they were all used as bait. Um There is no doubt about that. I mean, here is a guy who was released from prison and no sooner than two years thereafter, he's hosting the likes of George Stephanopoulos from ABC News and a former Clinton operative, Katie Couric, and other rich and famous Hollywood individuals like Harvey Weinstein. These people were very complicit in rubbing shoulders with him. Why? Because he was able to ingratiate himself back into society without any black eyes. It's frightening to think that that occurred. But what's more concerning is who is involved in the cover-up. So you've got to think about it this way. We've established that the U.S. government knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a spy. The Israelis knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a spy because he worked for them. The British monarchy knew that Prince Andrew was compromised and likely deduced that Prince Andrew's friend, Jeffrey Epstein, was a spy. He also had connections to, as I mentioned earlier, Adnan Khashoggi, an arms dealer for Saudi Arabia. So the subterfuge that existed between this complex web is amazing. All of these countries knew how reckless and dangerous and vulnerable Jeffrey Epstein was. And by people hanging out with him and rubbing shoulders with him, those people were at risk. But the question has to be asked, why did they allow it to happen? Is it because he'd already gathered that compromising information on these King individuals? Or were they scared of him?
1: All right, uh, Dylan, we'll take another quick time out, come back and continue to delve into the sick life and mysterious death of Jeffrey Epstein. Dylan Howard, my guest, the author of Dead Men Tell No Tales, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.
0: Strap yourself in. You're about to leave everything you thought you knew behind. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio. AM
1: 740. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in hour two, Chris Burris, the uh, co-founder, scientist with C60Evo.com. And we'll be talking about uh, Carbon 60, along with uh, Crop Circle filmmaker Patty Greer. Uh, Right now, Dylan Howard stays with us. And the book is Dead Men Tell No Tales, Lies, Spies, and Blackmail, uh, with Melissa Cronin and James Robertson. Uh, I'm trying to imagine, you know, how uh, a, extensively a book like this, uh, Dylan, would have to be lawyered. Uh, can you just sort of give us a sense of that process? I mean, it must be just—they—they uh, they must have had to gone through have gone through this uh, letter by letter.
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, a book like this does not go to print without thorough examination from the lawyers. Uh, But you have to understand that we'd been working on this case for many, many years and had built up a collection of court filings. And indeed, at this very moment, we are involved in active litigation against the FBI under the Freedom of Information Act here in the United States to get the FBI's case file on Jeffrey Epstein. Now, normally, when someone dies that information is automatically released. In the case of Jeffrey Epstein, information has been released, but the information that has been released is of inadequate value and almost embarrassing at the heavy nature of which the FBI redacted information, which, again, smacks of a cover-up. Another critical component of this is that we know Jeffrey Epstein in every one of his mansions recorded what happened in every room. I'm one of the very few that have seen photos in at least two of those properties, New York and Palm beach. And I've seen cameras in every corner of the room. Now that all fed back into a central office. And next to that office was another study where they're industrial-sized Xerox machine that printed out these blackmail files and audio tapes and saved all the information for the purposes of what Jeffrey Epstein was running. So I ask of the FBI, what is on those tapes? Where are they? Why have they not been released? I also ask that, of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department, which prosecuted Jeffrey Epstein and the local DA, and why it hasn't released that cachet of information. Now, Florida is a very unique state in the United States in the sense that anything in a criminal case is released under what's called the Sunshine Law. It's when uh, Casey Anthony was alleged to have killed her baby daughter, Kaylee. And every time her parents turned up to the jail, the video of them interacting was released. However, the local Florida authorities also have never released their files on Jeffrey Epstein. And in fact, a judge last week said that materials related to a civil case were not in the public interest. That, to me, doesn't also pass the smell test. As part of our investigation into Epstein, Dead Men, Tell No Tales, we identified one particular detective that worked for the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department, an individual by the name of John Mark Dugan, who is now, believe it or not, living in Moscow, sought and obtained um some form of immunity from the Russian government and he's living as an asylum seeker in that country now he claims and we have independently verified that he has the local law enforcement cache of evidence that Jeffrey Epstein stored He says that it is on encrypted drives in Moscow. Now, one must assume if you are given asylum, you must exchange something of material value to that country. And whilst he won't admit it, I can tell you, my sources tell me that he handed over the compromising information And now the Kremlin has the files that the U.S. government wrote release to its own people, even under the law. That's
1: a scary proposition.
2: Fundamentally scary by its very nature. Um, Who knows who's implicated in this scandal of the highest order? To think that it is in the grasp of the Kremlin is a frightening, frightening thought. That it could be used as leverage against the United States is
1: appalling. It might be a shorter list to figure out who's not on the list. Indeed. Indeed. All right. We um, we're gonna. This was a short segment. We're gonna step away. When we come back, uh, I, I, I want to talk to you about. Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, her her likely whereabouts and what she may know and the likelihood of uh, bringing her to justice and getting to the bottom of this finally. Uh, We'll take a time out, come back. Dylan Howard stays with us, the author of Dead Men Tell No Tales, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Uh, Dylan,
1: any idea about uh, the, the whereabouts of Ghislaine Maxwell?
2: So there have been reports that Ghislaine is in the United States, traveling between safe house to safe house under the protection of retired Navy SEALs. I believe that was a plant in the UK media, just like the photo of her in Los Angeles was a plant easily disproved by the fact that one of the billboards in the background was carrying a out-of-date television or film show. I can't remember which one of the two. The reality is that Ghislaine Maxwell is ground zero for this case. She, by virtue of her relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, which was a very complex relationship, an ex-girlfriend turned alleged madam, uh, business operative, inherited and was bequeathed the intelligence files. So if Jeffrey Epstein was a man who knew too much, Kislaine Maxwell is the woman who knows too much. So I believe that she would well be under just the basic nature of intelligence operations being harbored by her spy masters, which would be Israel. So I would suspect no empirical evidence, and I'm happy to admit that this is a theory, but it makes logical sense that she would be in Israel being protected by the Mossad because she inherited the files that Maxwell and her accumulated over three decades.
1: So essentially, she would be
2: untouchable? Well, I think the Israeli government wants her to be untouchable, yes. If the person who was involved in the death of Jeffrey Epstein, and we all admit, okay, was it murder, or was it an assisted suicide, aided and abetted by somebody? Regardless of the matter, I'm almost certain Jeffrey Epstein didn't make the decision to end his own life. So whoever wanted Jeffrey Epstein killed inevitably would want Ghislaine Maxwell killed. And her spy masters clearly don't want that. Um, and would be doing everything in their power to preserve her as an active asset, given what she knows.
1: To what extent is, Donald Trump involved. I mean, we know that uh, for a time they mm-hmm. they were friends. Uh, at some point, Trump learned something. There was a, a rupture in that relationship. Um, I have also read that uh, lawyers for victims of Jeffrey Epstein have said that Trump was very helpful in giving them information when they requested it. What can you tell me about Trump's possible involvement?
2: Like Bill Clinton, Bill Gates and others, Donald Trump has sought to minimize his relationship with Epstein. In the 1980s, Jeffrey Epstein was introduced to Donald Trump by virtue of Adnan Khashoggi. Adnan Khashoggi at that time had a supermaxi yacht. And according to Donald Trump, his interactions with Jeffrey Epstein were confined and limited to their time at Mar-a-Lago, his estate in Palm Beach. That never really happened until late 1990, early 2000. But the reality is that in 1980, Donald Trump was aboard Adnan Khashoggi's yacht when he met Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, and uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So much so, that Donald Trump purchased that yacht from Adnan Khashoggi and renamed it after his daughter, Ivanka, Lady Ivanka. And Robert Maxwell, of course, had a similar yacht that was called Lady Gislein. So I don't think that the president of the United States has been entirely truthful with his... Uh, admissions about his knowledge of Jeffrey Epstein or his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. That is not to say that that is nefarious or that he was involved in any of Epstein's sex trafficking. I just think that he has, like so many others, sought to diminish the connection with him for fear of repercussions.
1: When you took on an investigation like this, knowing now that it has potential potential to bring down not only governments, presidents, prime ministers, a royal family, a dynasty. uh, I mean, that must be I mean, I know you're you're a hardened uh, investigator and journalist, but still that there must be a level of intimidation there. No,
2: you know, I've not heard from anyone that has made any threat since the publication of the book. In fact, what I've heard from are a number of individuals who have stepped forward in the wake of the publication of this book with stunning information. Information that I never expected to establish. And in fact, on the eve of publication of the book, I had a chance meeting with someone who I would describe as a whistleblower who was in Jeffrey's innermost circle and has effectively, in many ways, turned this story into a geopolitical thriller and has provided evidence to support this. Naturally, I, even going into the first book, believe that this was one of the biggest espionage scandals in American history. I don't believe we're being told the truth the whole truth, I don't even think we're being told anything that is truthful naturally when we have these personal papers and never before seen government files that have now been turned over to me by virtue of these people that have come forward who have uh, essentially said I applaud you for exposing this Um, and i don't mean to sound gracious, but, uh, you know, we have, an, we have a sequel of the book coming out called Epstein Inc., How the U.S. Government Helped Make Spying and Blackmail Big Business, because our first book established a set of circumstances. Our second book dives well deeper to offer an unprecedented look into spy agencies, the government, and the deep state, and how it really operates. And this sequel, in many ways, will blow the lid off corruption that I believe exists at the very highest level of the U.S. government.
1: Is it, is it fair to say that there are many Jeffrey Epstein's out there working on behalf of various spy masters from various countries around the world, and that this is now how the game is being played at this level, and children, young children, or uh, young girls, uh, and boys in some cases, are being caught up yep. in this horrible mess? That is,
2: that is the great paradox of this case. We know that Jeffrey Epstein, was an individual who exploited young women and was allowed to continue to exploit young women after his 2010 conviction. But whether or not he used those young women to advance his Mossad operations... I'm not necessarily sold on that. I think that it was the access that allowed him to establish the intelligence that allowed him to operate as an agent for foreign intelligence for three decades. As I said earlier, talking to Bill Clinton was not about a young 13-year-old girl. It was at a time in which his wife was a US Senator and Secretary of State. So the information that they would have been discussing was of critical importance to foreign intelligence agencies and foreign governments. So I still remain, um, to be completely frank and honest with you, perplexed as to whether or not Epstein was running this. sex trafficking ring for his own benefit or for the benefit of entrapping rich and influential men in the world. Um, nevertheless, the conspiracy of corruption was an open secret for decades. So it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky proposition. I, I, I'm, I'm unconvinced either way. And I hope that my, my reporting, that my investigative work over the course of the next couple of weeks will establish in more detail uh, just the role that sex trafficking played in this international espionage operation.
1: Well, Dylan, we thank you for your time and uh, congratulations uh, on, on your work. The book, again, is Dead Men Tell No Tales, Lies, Spies and Blackmail. How do we get a copy of the book?
2: You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all good booksellers, and uh, anywhere that sells a great book.
1: I hope you'll join us again, especially when the uh, the sequel arrives.
2: Anytime. I, I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, Dylan. All
1: right, when we come back, Carbon 60, an update. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Don't
0: go away. <laughs> Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home,
1: long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A big hello to each and every one of you who's tuning in on our flagship station, AM740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. Hiya to those listening in on one of our fine affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you, streaming us on ZoomerRadio.ca and on the YouTube channel Strange Planet and the Zoomer Radio app. So many ways to listen, however and wherever you're listening. I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Owen Wolf is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming tonight on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Uh, We're trying to get to 20,000 subscribers. We're almost there. So if you haven't already done so, please be so kind as to hit that red sub button. Again, it's the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. A few months back, Chris Burris, the co-founder and scientist at C60Evo.com, Uh, join me to talk about carbon 60 this molecule discovered by several nobel prize winning chemists that had remarkable qualities best suited for military industrial some medical applications and it was actually during a toxicity test or a toxicity study on rats that something quite remarkable was discovered not only was carbon 60 not toxic but rats that were fed a form of consumable C60, known as ESS60, suspended in olive oil, lived 90% longer than rats who were not fed the ESS60. Well, that program generated so much positive feedback, so much email that I decided to bring Chris back on the program tonight. He's an engineer, again, who confirmed findings on carbon 60, this Nobel Prize winning technology, originally meant for military defense, now being sought out by global mega corporations. And uh, we're happy he's joining us again tonight. Chris, how are you?
3: Wonderful, Richard, how are you doing?
1: I'm terrific, and let me also bring Patty Greer in here. She's, of course, no stranger to this program. She's a prominent, UFO crop circle filmmaker, who's produced eight full length crop circle and UFO films in 10 years. Her movies have received eight prestigious awards, including five EBEs at the International UFO Congress. Her films show footage of crop circles being produced by spinning plasma fields that appear to humans as balls of light. And her conclusions after visiting the lab of scientist William Levengood is that crop circles are produced by counter-rotating spinning plasma vortices coming out of the earth. But she's here tonight to talk about her experiences uh, with ESS-60. Patty, how are you? Do we have Patty? All right. Well, we're waiting for Patty to to jump in here. Chris, let me start with you. Uh, Again, for those that missed the program uh, when you were on several months ago, uh, just walk us through very quickly the the discovery of carbon-60 and how you became connected with it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, first, and, and, and thank you for having I'm glad that, uh, that the show was well received. Uh, it's a pretty phenomenal result. The molecules are a pretty amazing molecule. Uh, so I'm, I'm not that surprised that it resonated. It's just exciting when when people are excited by things that I'm also excited by. Um, so C, it, it, originally it, it, it's called C60 carbon 60 because it has 60 carbon atoms and in the shape of it is like a soccer ball. And I'm actually going back and reading a book called The Miracle Molecule. I'm sorry, The Most Beautiful Molecule. Some other people have called it The Miracle Molecule. The Most Beautiful Molecule talks about um, when the original scientists, and that's Dr. Smalley, Dr. Croto, and Dr. Curl, uh, discovered this back in 1985. Um, Pretty amazing process of discovery. Uh, They made some pretty uh, bold leaps with some some kind of minimal data early on, uh, and then that data turned out to be right, and and they really found the third form of carbon. You know, we're all familiar with diamond, we're all familiar with graphite, Uh, And now there's a whole gamut of molecules called fullerenes. They named them after Buckminster Fuller. Uh, The most abundant one is this buckyball, this carbon-60. They affectionately call it the buckyball. Again, 60 carbon atoms. The best way to describe it, it looks like a soccer ball where the lines on the soccer ball represent the bonds between the carbon atoms. In the early days, there was, you know, they had come up with medical applications, uh, really was mostly for industrial applications. It's harder than a diamond. It actually turns into a diamond. It's got six fold symmetry, uh, so it can hold a, a ton of electrons and then release those electrons. We'll probably see uh, carbon 60 batteries at some point. Uh, they, they knew that this was such an important discovery that those professors, Dr. Smalley, Dr. Croto, and Dr. Curl, actually won the Nobel Prize in 1996, um, so a, a few short 11 years after their discovery, after it, they discovered it in 1985. Um, because, also because it was known that it was going to be very important to science in general, they did this toxicity study, and that toxicity study was in 2012, peer-reviewed, published out of uh, the University of Paris, Uh, And again, instead of it being toxic to the rats that they gave it to, the rats that they gave ESS, and really call it at this point, ESS-60, that's C-60 processed for safer human consumption, uh, the rats that they gave ESS-60 and olive oil lived 90% longer, uh, and they died with no tumors. That's the the long and short version.
1: (laughs) Right. So in other words, the rats lived almost twice as long as they normally would, instead of living what was it now? Instead of living 32 months, they lived?
3: Uh, yes, 32 what? months. is a, So a typical Worcester rat will live 32 months, uh, and they'll die with a known amount of tumors. And those tumors, how much tumors they have in their bodies uh, increases with time. Uh, the rats that were given, again, ESS-60 with olive oil, that's the C60 Evo formulation, they lived 62 months. Actually, they did have two rats right at the end of the experiment. When one of them died, uh, it was two plus years past when the experiment was supposed to end, uh, and so the scientists were like, hey, we need to publish, so they euthanized the last rat, um, and 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 then were able to publish, and none of those rats had any tumors, even though they lived 90% longer. Now, meanwhile,
1: uh, prior to this 2012 study, you had been manufacturing carbon-64, corporations who were using it for various industrial applications, correct?
3: Absolutely. In fact, if if you can think of a research organization like an IBM Research or Naval Aeronautical Weapons Stations or DARPA, if you can think of it, um, we actually have sold material into those research institutions. Back in 1991, actually, when we uh, formed the original company, a nine out of ten of the most referenced papers in science were related to buckyballs, and that increased to ten out of ten uh, in 1992. So it was a really hot topic. That was just before the the, the Nobel Prize was awarded. Uh, so it was a really just amazing discovery, and the scientific community was just totally a buzz about uh, carbon 60.
1: And so, people then. How did, before the test, before the 2012 test, were, were people actually consuming carbon-60?
3: So I'm not aware of anybody, certainly in published literature. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody came out and said, oh yeah, I've been taking it um, before the 2012 study. Uh, I, we, here, we know that some of the medical applications that were thought of really early on, so this stalker this ball cage, this carbon-60 buckyball cage, um, is big enough for any atom on the periodic chart to fit inside of it. In fact, there's a new symbol in chemistry because of this discovery. Again, that's how important this discovery is, uh, it, the at symbol. And we know that from our email addresses, right? The at, uh, well, lanthanum, as an example, lanthanum at C60 means a lanthanum atom trapped inside of C60. So it's not covalently bonded or ionically bonded with it. It's just physically trapped inside the cage. So pretty early on, they thought, hey, maybe we could put a radioactive atom on the inside of this buckyball. We could attach to the exterior of the buckyball. And the chemistry was very similar to chemistry with benzene, which is very well known in in medicines. Um, They could attach maybe a particular uh, adjunct onto it that would allow that particular total molecule to attach, let's say, to a cancer cell. Now you've got this radioactive material right there, right at the cancer cell. So that was one of the things early on. And then another one, there's a a protein with the AIDS virus. And certainly in the 90s, that was when uh, it was at its peak. Uh, And the buckyball will actually sit in one of the physical shapes of the protein and prevent the AIDS virus from reproducing. And so there was a lot of it was, it was kind of known that it was going to be used in medicine. Uh, it just never really, it first came out in 2012 that, you know, uh, here we've got these rats that live twice as long.
1: So at what point did you make the decision, you and your, your co-owner, I guess, uh, to, along with sort of industrial grade carbon 60, to start producing the, the, the consumable form of carbon 60, ESS 60? When did that take place?
3: Yeah, so that's kind of the question, the the behind-the-scenes question. Um, uh, Really, in 2012, they did this. They released a study, again, peer-reviewed, published study. Turns out it's the longest longevity experiment on mammals ever. Um, And then in in about 2013, we started getting phone calls at our office, hey, how much in a dose? And you've got to remember, we've got a carbon nanomaterial scientist hat We're selling it to research institutions around the world, and in our heads, we're thinking this is for batteries, it's for solar cells, it's for ink, it's for tires. You know, this is not something that you kind of naturally want to put in your body. Now, this was, despite the fact that the literature was clear, the literature says C60 for industrial applications, uh, improperly processed is harmful, um, when you properly process C60, we call that ESS60, uh, that's safer for human consumption. That was clear even in early 20 in mid 2013. But for the first time in company history, we added not for human consumption just because we're just you know that's our nature. conservative science uh, is, that's our nature. Fast forward to 2017, uh, a, a really popular YouTuber actually started talking about the benefits that he was getting. Uh, the industry kind of sold out, except for us. We're the largest manufacturer and distributor of v s 60 on the planet. Uh, and then, really coming into 2018, we had to ask ourselves two questions. Uh, the first question is a moral question, right? Like, uh, I'm I'm am I comfortable selling this? So I take it. My wife takes it. Everybody on our team here at the office takes it. I am comfortable selling it to you. So that's the first question. And then the next one uh, here in the states is the FDA and the FTC. Uh, and we're you know, definitely on the right side of those organizations uh, and really kind of moving towards uh, expanding our classification with the FDA so uh, so we can do some other things.
1: So you've got ESS-60, but you're, the company the Evo, is called Evolution uh, or or C60 Evo, Evo being Evolution. What is the evolution of Carbon-60? What makes what, you know, why is it called Evolution? What makes it? you know uh safer for human consumption
3: well so so you you got to think back to the 2012 study and there was a process kind of put forth in that original study which obviously made um, c60 and you know turns it into effectively ESS60 and we've just refined that process and what we noticed was there's there's actually some fraud going on in the industry uh, and it's and it's a little bit frustrating and in general uh, I'm I'm not a person to kind of go after any other company you know we make the best product, we're comfortable saying that, uh, and, you know, we test other products they are m- maybe not as advertised, but there was one particular company um, that advertised that they had C60 in it, and, and a simple, super easy test proved that they didn't have C60. Um, and and so we saw that the that the kind of consumers were at risk and at risk of being defrauded. Even even worse, right? And in this case, I, I really don't like to to play kind of negative games uh, in certainly in my industry. There's other people. that are, I believe they're trying to do a good job, but this guy was actually advertising as if he's in our in our industry. And he's not even producing C60, let alone ESS60. And, and so I kind of feel like he, he he could probably, he could potentially, not probably, he could potentially hurt somebody and actually cause problems for the industry. And he's not even really in the industry. So I did do a video about that and really kind of my business partner and I got together and said, we need to, we need to make a distinction that will make consumers safe, uh, and, you know, evolve this industry and that's where kind of c60 evo was generated the ess 60 kind of came out of that uh and so now if you're on the market and you want to be safe and and that's certainly a concern you're putting this in your body uh then you know you know to look for ess 60 and then you've got c60 evo again the evolution of of carbon 60.
1: so so to be clear then un, unprocessed c60 can be can be harmful to humans.
3: Absolutely. And in, in fact, I, I think it's better to say that improperly processed. So yes, un, unprocessed. And really you've got to, the, the, the challenge here is the manufacturing process itself introduces uh, solvents. And these are solvents that you want to keep out of your system, carcinogenics, et cetera. Um, And they're solvents that they use in the plant extract industry on a regular basis. So it's not that uh, there's no precedence for these solvents being the kind of the, the production process of things that people take regularly in supplements. But if you don't get rid of those solvents properly, and carbon is a totally different than a plant extract. So carbon 60 has different attachment points. So uh, so you definitely need to process it properly. And if you don't, or if you turn it into water-soluble, right? So there's a way uh, to, to uh, alter C60 and turn it into water-soluble, uh, a water-soluble form. By the way, that kind of implies, which is true, that C60 is not water-soluble. It's the reason that we sell it in different oils. But but So C60 unprocessed and C60 improperly processed, the peer-reviewed published literature is, is clear. That that, that that can be very harmful um, so that you know that's that's why we wanted to make the distinction
1: uh, chris Burris is here a scientist and uh, co-founder of c60evo.com uh, before we work Patty greer in here um, let me just ask you again about the uh, this this uh, mammal study these rats that live 90% longer uh, versus the group that did not receive any ess60 uh, did the, did the scientists in this what turned out to be a longevity study have any idea as to what was happening, why the rats were living longer, how well, ESS sixty was producing this result?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, that's the next step. In fact, anytime a scientist re- releases some results, they they usually like to have theories. Um, it is, it's known that, that ESS-60 in olive oil is an, is an antioxidant. In fact, there's some research that shows it's 172 times more powerful than vitamin C and a known anti-inflammatory. And the, and the current thought process in medicine is that aging is a function of oxidation and inflammation. So it's not a surprise that something that enabled mammals to live 90% longer is a known antioxidant and a known anti-inflammatory.
1: And um, just before we head into the break, so your um, your intention is to try and reproduce this mammal study, correct?
3: Yes, yes. We're, in fact, we, we already paid the first kind of invoice to start that process. And, and we've got some kind of cool plans of uh, the things that we're going to do a little bit different than the original study. And the intent, like the scientific process is, you know, have a theory do a test, get a result, and then somebody else needs to reproduce that result. And nobody's really stepped up to do that. And so that's what that's what we're going to do.
1: And and what are you going to do differently?
3: So it's pretty interesting. In the original study, the rats weren't given any dosage until month 10. So again, a typical Worcester rat lives 32 months, so about a third of their life uh, had passed by the time they started getting any doses. And then the last doses were given at month 17. So it was only a, a seven short months that they gave doses. And even though uh, month 17 was the last dose, again, the, the rats given ESS-60 and olive oil Lived sixty-two months and had no tumors, uh, so you can imagine. And there was a couple reasons for that, but you can imagine. Uh, well, it's it'd be it's just interesting to imagine what might have happened had they not stopped giving the doses at month seventeen.
1: <clears throat> and I mean, do you have an expectation that if you begin feeding the rats ESS sixty prior to ten months, that they'll live even longer?
3: Well. Um, we are we're we're kind of debating with the test uh, with the the, the, um, the scientific group that actually is going to run the test, um, but we're doing some preliminary work. That's the invoice that we already paid. Um, so we're still debating on if we're going to start at ten months. We're we'll probably just to kind of reproduce the results. Start at ten months but we won't stop at month 17, we'll continue to dose. And part of that is because we can actually give, in, in the original study, uh, they'd use what's called gavages, which is a tube to make sure that the dosing gets directly into the stomach of the rats. Uh, and as soon as one of the rats, actually one of the control rats died uh, at month 17, and, and at that point, they're like, hey, we, you know, we've already kind of started this process, this this the process of these rats passing. Uh, let's stop gavaging because gavaging is, you know, is known to cause potential problems in rats. And so we won't be doing that. We know the rats actually like to eat the olive oil so we can control their doses through the food that we give them.
1: All right, we'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll work Patty Greer in here, the Crop Circle gal, and she'll tell us about her experiences after years of taking ESS-60. Chris Burrows is the co-owner and scientist behind C60Evo.com. Back with more of
0: The Conspiracy Show in a moment. Stay with us. In search of sunken cities and weird science mythical beasts, and modern-day bloodsuckers. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues from Zoomer Radio. Oh, that's a new one. I like that one.
1: <laughs> well done, folks, in the, uh, in the uh, production department. Uh, Chris Burrows is here from uh, C60Evo.com, a scientist and a co-founder. We're talking about carbon-60, or the the consumable form of this miracle molecule called... ESS60, and uh, oh, incidentally, uh, we, we've linked up to the uh, the uh, C60Evo.com website. If you go to StrangePlanet.ca and find the uh, the button for the this radio program, the Conspiracy Show, it's right there on the front page. And uh, Chris, you've generously uh, offered a little uh, discount for our listeners here. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, so it's a it's a fifteen dollar discount on the first purchase. And uh, in general, for most of our products, uh, you get a substantial discount by going on subscription. You can cancel at any time. So it's just, you know, a good deal to, to go on subscription for any one of our products. Uh, and we sell it in uh, olive oil, MCT oil, avocado oil. And just to be clear, we always recommend the olive oil
1: all right now let's uh let's bring patty greer in here i, I mentioned earlier our crop circle gal uh, who is no stranger to this program and uh, people may be scratching their heads saying patty uh you know w- what does uh, a crop circle filmmaker have to do with the discovery of carbon sixty and e s s sixty
4: well, I believe I have done so many shows with you up until now and called you recently and said you've got to start looking into the c sixty um, for me, it was about half an hour of of noticing after taking my first spoonful. It was actually the third time I tried it. So the other two times perhaps didn't originally come from the SES uh, research manufacturing plant. But when I tried C60 about two years ago, it was instantly noticeable where I was dealing with really bad... Um, probably inflammation in my joints and all of a sudden I was walking differently and I was so stunned by it that I was one of those people um, along with Cliff High and Sarah Westall that really brought C60 to market because I was so blown away from it right from the start and I tried different products from different companies but I didn't know yes I did quickly, that all of it basically was coming from Chris and Robert at SES Research. So um, after years of being grateful, Chris and I started um, C60 Evo together um, as partners uh, to bring the evolution of C60. My timing was just blessed that it was right when they were bringing back the 2012 formulation that extended the lifetime of rats. You know, for me, it was about healing. And for most people, it's probably more about anti-aging. But who wants to live a long life unless you feel great? So they call it a miracle molecule. It has blown me away what I have, number one, lived through, but how C60 works. It's absolutely impressed me.
1: So, so you take uh, like a spoonful every every morning or a tablespoonful or or how much?
4: Well, I started with a teaspoon. And now I've been taking a tablespoon. I've also been known to just tip the bottle. But what I learned recently was absolutely stunning. All these years, I was taking coconut oil, C60 and coconut oil, because of the three oils that most companies offer, I think it's the easiest on the taste buds. And I do it direct in a spoon. I don't need to mix it in things. It's effortless. So the coconut oil was yummy, but I didn't know until recently that it, it No matter how long you stir C60, and at um, Chris and Robert's SES Research um, Laboratory, they're all mixed in these huge urns, and all of the oils are going the same speed for three weeks in these airtight, no sonication, no heat, just perfect cylinders, and they mix them for the same amount of time, no matter how much you mix The coconut oil will only hold, and it's just comparative numbers, 0.35 milligrams per milliliter of C60 is all it will suspend, whereas the olive oil, which is why Chris was saying we recommend the olive oil, holds 0.8 milligrams per milliliters of C60. The avocado oil is in the middle at 0.6. So olive oil is more than twice as strong as the coconut oil that I was taking for probably a year and a half. And a lot of people choose the coconut oil because they like the taste. But finally Chris did the test at the lab and now I know why would I take any other oil when I'm taking it for the purpose of the C sixty. So-, so in other
1: words, if you if you if you if you buy C sixty and it's it's suspended in coconut oil or avocado oil, you're not getting nearly as much of the C60 as you do if it's in olive oil.
4: Correct. And I don't think Chris knew. Chris, when did you find out? Because it was recent that you even told me about the avocado, which is what I was doing.
3: Yeah, so so, so really, we we started uh, basically offering the product in olive oil, which is the original research. Um, We didn't have any specific intentions to offer it in MCT or avocado uh, even though you know other organizations were doing that and and when we decided because our customers were asking for it, uh, when we decided to do that of course you know step one is you got to kind of put your science hat on and go, okay well how much uh, you know how do we get uh, ESS60 into this MCT oil or into this avocado oil And so we kind of noticed well our process for putting in ESS60 into the oil left you know a lot of ESS60 left over. Uh, and so, as hard as we tried, we really could only get about 0.35 milligrams per milliliter into the MCT. And so that was really when we had a concrete understanding that that it was a a lower uh, it had a lower saturation point than uh, olive oil. So MCT related to ESS60 has a lower saturation point than olive oil.
1: Now, Patty, you've had uh, some recent health scares e- while you were taking um uh c s 60 tell me about a, a a year well this past summer 2019 e- they found some uranium and strontium in well, in in your system
4: <clears throat> yes i um i was living in a house in the mountains and i um kind of completed a situation with a housemate and while i was gone for a week strange things occurred but when i came back to pack up and move out, I started getting really sick and uh, sweating and fevers and then throwing up. And so I started packing quicker, but I, was not, I didn't have the energy. So I had friends come up and help me uh, pack. And in the corner of the garage, I found this bottle of carnitite uranium. And it's a bizarre mineral. And I was like, what? The? You know, so I looked it up. And uh, when I finally got to my new house... I was sweating, like I had to change my clothing every two hours because I was detoxing whatever it was, amazing amounts. So I went and I started getting my body and blood and hair, and uh, I signed up for all these tests, you know, and it was just about everything, breath and saliva and everything else you can imagine. And the exact elements that were in that bottle were red-zoned in my blood, Plus strontium. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been through a few things because I was doing some pretty, shall we say, daring work in the crop circles. Is why well, you and I know each other, and I think the C60 has definitely brought me through. But um, within a month, I <laughs> was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, first time in my life. And I've been through this for eight months now huge counter of detox, but I never stopped taking the C60 and, um, the detox in the last few months, all of a sudden I was just like, Oh God, enough. And I could tell intuitively that I needed to kind of cut back and I will be retested soon, but I can tell I'm better. I had lost 25 pounds by the time I got to this house, which is a lot for somebody 5'2. So it, it, it nailed me, <laughs> but here I am and I've got almost my weight back and I'm strong as ever. But um, I feel like what I've watched my body, what I've watched Australia, you know, it's almost like the burning of a whole continent. I feel like I've kind of been through the burning of a whole old skin, you know, and the mm-hmm. C60 has been like a roto router from the start. I feel like I have seen... Things come out my skin. I have seen things come out my body that I feel like were not well cells that had been in me. And most people might have been scared to see bizarre things coming out, but I knew I was taking a lot of C60 and I'm not a scientist, but I could tell that it was doing something really good to clear out my system of years of toxins. And laying in crop circles on my back with who knows what, you know, they were dropping over there on us in the fields. Um, and I was for 10 years really in the crop circles a lot and eating the wheat, not knowing about those early days of what they were, you know, spraying on the wheat. I was filming in 2007 and eight and, and nine in the beginning, and they were doing a lot of spraying. And I would, so this has been a gift. An absolute gift discovering this molecule and bringing my system back from all this which is in my past because now I am fully committed to rock the world with this evolution of bringing back that 2012 miracle molecule, the ESS60 formulation, because I was taking weaker uh, formulations. Plus, I was taking coconut oil. Who knew? So all those years at 0.35, if even, now I'm taking 0.8 direct from the lab that makes the C60, so I know it's as fresh as it could be the raw C60, plus it's... um, at a really high level, knowing to take the olive oil.
1: All right, we'll uh, take a quick time out. Come back. Chris Burris from C60Evo.com. Patty Greer, Crop Circle filmmaker, and uh, certainly a fan of ESS 60. We should point out, however, it has not been assessed by the FDA, it is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. And if you have a health concern, please reach out to your healthcare provider. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarah. Don't go away.
0: When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Before we get back to Chris Burris and Patty Greer talking uh, crop circles, Uh, before we uh, get back and talk about uh, carbon 60 and ESS 60, just a programming note, Uh, next week on the program, and for the full two hours, uh, Andy Thomas uh, a British researcher writer will be here to discuss a uh, revised edition of his book, Conspiracies, the Facts, the Theories, the Evidence. Andy Thomas, uh, one of the uh, sort of the biggest, most popular writers in this arena, Conspiracies, the Unexplained in Great Britain, here for the full two hours next week. Chris Burris is the uh, scientist co owner behind uh, C60EVO.com. We've linked up to that. If you go to strangeplanet.ca slash The Conspiracy Show, strangeplanet.ca slash The Conspiracy Show. There's a button there. You can click on uh, that for more information on uh, ESS60 and uh, C60Evo.com. And uh, also, if you uh, order uh, through that link, you'll receive – well, Chris, give us the details. What do our listeners uh, get?
3: Yeah. So if they use uh, if they use that link and then there's a code, uh, they get fifteen dollars off on their initial purchase. Uh, and, and like I said, it's always uh, it's always best to order on subscription. You get a substantial discount and can cancel that subscription at any time.
1: All right. And uh, the code just for the show they can use is RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. All right. Um. We were talking about your your health scare uh, with uranium and strontium, uh, Patty, and uh, but you also there was something else. You went you had your you had a kind of a, a physical or a checkup recently, and they checked your your heart. Yeah, did a, a heart scan and a, a, a carotid test. What did they find?
4: A carotid. Yeah, I mean it was just this list of tests that I had to go through to <laughs> get to the other side of this challenge, and. One of them, I'm not young. Um, I've never had, I haven't been to a doctor in years. I kind of gave up on them, to be honest. So I've avoided it. So this was intense. I just had everything tested. And my carotid, my, which is your uh, arteries, there's arteries that go to the heart, and then there's the vessels that go to the neck and the carotid. They were all completely clear of plaque. I had zero plaque. Which I don't really know uh, much about medicine, but I was certainly noting that they were surprised. And immediately I went, "Oh my god, it's that Roto Rooter C60." Is you know I think it's cleared out more things than I gave credit for. So when I remember, as I'm taking my spoonful, my tablespoon in the morning, when I remember to swish it through my teeth like you you know swish when you're trying to get the toothpaste out. Swish the C60 in your mouth. I did it for like four nights, and then I started looking at my teeth more carefully, and I realized I don't have any plaque in my teeth when I do that days in a row. Chris,
1: is there any anecdotal evidence aside from what Patty's saying, or any studies that that suggest that this molecule or ESS60 can can remove plaque?
3: Well, we, we certainly know that it's got antiviral and antibacterial. Properties, right? So uh, when you start talking about plaque, there's also uh, it's known that you can use uh, something called activated charcoal uh, to whiten your teeth. So there's certainly some anecdotal evidence that would support what she's suggesting. I, I also tend to kind of so my my routine is actually I put uh, uh, the MCT version of our uh, product in my coffee in the morning, uh, and then I actually take a separate about a teaspoon and a half. Uh, if I know I'm going to have a busy day, I'll end up taking another dose in the middle of the day. But about a teaspoon and a half of our olive oil product, uh, and I'll take that in you know at the about the same time that I'm having my coffee. Um, but yeah, swishing it around in your mouth, given you know the benefits of activated charcoal for teeth whitening, uh, and then antiviral and antibacterial should should be beneficial.
1: What about DNA? Is there any evidence that DNA uh, is affected by C60?
3: Well, so there's a little kind of petri dish um, research that shows that there are some positive impacts with DNA. Um, There are some kind of, of, we'll call them C60 groups out there that are saying that uh, it'll extend your telomeres. I've actually reached out to them directly and I'm like, well, what is the specific research? Send me that paper because that's really exciting uh, if there was a, you know, peer-reviewed published research that showed that extended telomeres. By the way, extension of telomeres has the implication of of living longer. Shorter telomeres mean uh, that the DNA is older, right? So as you get older, your telomeres tend to get uh, shorter. So if it, in fact there was some research that proved that ESS-60 extended your telomeres, this would be some really solid uh, and powerful evidence. And so I requested the paper, um, but the paper doesn't exist. And so one of the things that's maybe different about how I approach things, everything is very sciencey for me. It really in 2018 when we started selling in earnest, uh, and people were calling and giving me testimonials. I was a little uncomfortable because like, yes, I believe the customer who has called into me to share with me their benefits. Um, and they're just such amazing benefits that uh, at, at points, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Or, you know, as a business owner, I know it's a testimonial and, you know, it can have value for my business. But as a scientist, I'm like, okay, that's great. I understand. I don't know. As an example, uh, I'm looking at a testimonial right now, knee pain, concentration at work, uh, reduced amount of coffee, started a job. Logging, um, and have lost two pounds. Like those are pretty fantastic things, but I really want more research on it. So, uh, I'll share with people testimonials. And when I do, I'll share that they're testimonials. Uh, but I won't share things that are, you know, I don't know that I think are likely to be true. Like it extends telomere, the telomer length. You
1: ran a marathon. Was it a marathon, a full marathon or a half marathon today?
3: I, I ran a half marathon this morning, so um, so I, it was it was a it was a rough run. I didn't have uh, as much training as I would like. Uh, I run it with my wife. It's actually really kind of a, a, just a thing we did to get, do together, uh, and she was also uh, not well prepared. So uh, we walked. I don't know, maybe a, an eighth of it, and uh, and so we're a little sore, but it's a it was an accomplishment, and it feels really good even though we were walking all, in fact we ended up not walking uh going down that final you know um uh, towards towards the finish line and all of these people cheering uh it's just really amazing to to spend uh, a lot of time training and then you know to accomplish uh, you know 13.1 miles it's it it feels really good
1: all right, we'll take another quick time out, come back. One segment remains with Chris Burroughs and uh, Patty Greer,
0: C60Evo.com. Back with more in a moment. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: We are back with Chris Burris from C60Evo.com and uh, Patty Greer. We're talking about uh, carbon 60 and the the consumable form of carbon 60, which is ESS60, which is suspended in olive oil. A lot of people are concerned uh, about possible uh, adverse health effects of 5G, this next iteration of mobile uh, or Wi-Fi technology. 5G. Uh, you know, the debate as to whether non-ionizing radiation can, can do damage and so forth. Uh, any, any thoughts on that in relation to ESS-60, Chris or Patty?
3: Well, I, I can see that, uh, you know, the, the, kind of the assumptions are that 5G is going to, you know, um, kind of penetrate the body and do damage to cells. And what we've seen, what we kind of assume uh, is happening in this longevity study where the rats live 90% longer, also didn't have tumors, is that there's a lot of cell repair going on uh, that is be, in some way, we don't know exactly how, but in some way being facilitated uh, by the ESS-60. Uh, and, and so I, you know, if, if some people are suggesting that it's going to be beneficial for 5G, there is some research that shows it's actually beneficial against some radiation. Other radiations, uh, kind of levels of radiation, and so um, yeah, it it would make sense that ESS sixty would would be helpful.
4: And I want to talk about what I'm hearing from healers because this was fascinating, and it was just yesterday morning. I know a woman in Boulder who does incredible work. Uh, she's expensive. She's gifted. And she's always over full. Um, And when I finally get a chance to talk with her, which yesterday happened, I say to her, what's the overall temperature of people in Boulder, Denver? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Um, We have Denver and other communities nearby. So I'd like to know overall, how are people feeling And she doesn't give me specific cases, but this was the first time I heard her really exclaim, people are so freaking sick right now. And she started to elaborate. She said, everybody's sick to their stomach. Everybody's got exhaustion. Um, And it's overall, it's everybody, every age, male and female. She said, I've never seen it like this. I think that the, we call it 5G, but, you know, we also have 4G, I think, that we're hooked up to now. And um, whatever it is, if it's true or not, that the chemtrails are happening and all the aluminum, barium, and strontium are being dropped on people, evidenced heavily. So what if it's true that the Wi-Fi from our TVs and going through our homes is what's overall starting to make people really sick. And this is where I feel like C60 Evo to the rescue. It's expensive, unfortunately. Not everybody can afford it, but it is known to be more than 172 172 times the power of vitamin C. That right there alone tempts me. For me, it's my personal experience. Um, I feel like I'm made of steel, and I've been taking a lot of it, but I don't feel literally made of steel. I feel like um, it's just been an overhauler. But the other thing that I was wanting to mention is that I'm watching like my skin was like a layer peeling, almost like a snake when I was detoxing. Not all over, but it was a lot of skin, Changing form. And I feel like um, as we're moving into this, what we call, you know, human evolution, what we're going through the, you know, race to get into the next after all of this toxicity being forced on us, the vaccines we had as children, the silver fillings they put in us, um, all of this builds up. And so, what we need more than anything right now is remedies and remedies that work. And that's why I'm grateful. I feel like this one really
1: works. Uh, Chris, any research regarding carbon 60 and uh, cancer prevention or cancer cells?
3: So the, 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 the research that is out there is, is pretty interesting. It is in vitro, which means it's in a Petri dish, right? So it hasn't been, you know, translating things from a Petri dish into a human uh, are, are significantly different. There's lots of challenges, right? Um, but what, what they have is when they put in a Petri dish cancer cells and healthy cells, and then introduce an anti-cancer agent, right? So that actually tends to be, poison. it is poison, it's poison to the cancer cells and typically poisonous to healthy cells. The presence of C60 actually helps uh, uh, protect the healthy cells and increase the efficacy of the anti-cancer drug against the cancer cells.
1: True or false? NASA tried to buy up C sixty. They tried to buy out the entire industry in 2018. Is that a rumor or is that true?
3: That's a rumor. I, you know, we're, we're the largest manufacturer um, of carbon nanomaterials. The first to actually deliver carbon nanomaterials. Uh, if they were looking to buy out the industry, they would have reached out to us. What actually happened is we grew the uh, the oil business so much. Uh, that we had to use all of our own C60 at the time, ESS60, once it's for safe for human consumption, in our own products, and had to significantly restrict the amount that we're selling out into the industry. Uh, and so it's a it's an unfortunate thing that that we ended up causing. Uh,
1: why is it so expensive? Tell me about the the, the, the very quickly because we just have a few minutes. The process involved here, so that people understand what's at stake or what's, you know, what it takes
3: the ch- the challenges associated with it. Yeah, so the the typical process the process we use is a carbon arc technique uh where you typically take a, imagine you know the 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 graphite lead from a pencil, right? A little bit thicker so it's about a quarter inch in diameter. You put it in an inert uh in a chamber uh with an inert gas. So you've got to get any presence of oxygen ruins the process and you actually vaporize these two kind of pencil leads in this chamber and you get this soot that comes off of it. And this is where kind of, you know, that's a hard process. Typically, if you uh, increase the diameter from a quarter inch to a half inch, you actually uh, end up making a lower percentage of what we would call fullerenes in the fullerene soot. Uh, so, t- what you can get from that soot is about, I don't know, somewhere from 5 to 10% of fullerenes. Of those fullerenes, you've got the gamut of molecules, so C60, C70, C76, C84. Um, and so now you've got to separate those. That's where those solvents get involved. Uh, so you've got to purify that. Uh, and then, you know, what was used in the original study was a really pure uh, C60, and then it was further processed that leads to ESS60. I, I kind of really consolidated that quick. There are two other ways you can uh, produce fullerenes.
1: Well, the point here is that there's a real process involved, and, and, and I believe you were responsible for creating the, the sort of, if I can use the term, reactor. Uh, that 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 is used in the processing correct.
3: Yeah, so so I was really brought in as a, not initially as a business partner, but brought in as a mechanical engineer to help with, uh, you know, really when you're vaporizing graphite, one of the most difficult things to vaporize, uh, you're dealing with localized temperatures of the sun. So if you don't wear welding goggles, you actually get a sunburn. So we got to have a lot of heat transfer processes in order to keep this reactor from melting down. That's what I was brought on. Uh, uh, to, to help manage. And then we did build that equipment. And when we surveyed really in, in 2018, it turns out that that was one of the better pieces of equipment for manufacturing fullerenes.
1: All right. Well, uh, and apparently it does have an, a positive effect, uh, ESS 60 on, on sunburn, but we'll leave that for another show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Patty, pa- Patty Greer, Chris burris thank you so much for this. And, uh, again, People can go to strangeplanet.ca slash the conspiracy show. And uh, there's a link there for C60 EVO. Just click on that and um, you'll get a, a special deal. There's a code there right there on the button RS1SPEC. RS1SPEC. So use that link, use that code, and you'll get, um, I, I believe, $15 off. Uh, Chris, Patty, thank you so much.
4: Thank you. Thank it's you, a Richard. Pleasure.
1: All right. My thanks to uh, Owen Wolf and Ryan White back next week. Andy Thomas, conspiracies. We'll talk uh, for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. (laughs)